It's your boy RK, soon to be joined by Mr. Ross Jackson of Lockdown Saints, who that confessional, the man's out there working his tail off, so you get more information on your Saints, weekly, daily, man's out there. So we're going to ask him a bunch of questions and get some answers and, you know, just have some Saints talk a little bit later on. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Who That Kiss podcast. It's your boy RK, Rockin' Wit. Mr. Ross Jackson. Oh, I was like, I was, I was letting you, I was, I was letting you jump in. I was gonna let you, I was gonna, I was gonna let you do the Jay Z. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ross. <laughs> it would have been the intro, man. You dropped the ball there. It was, it's all good though. <laughs> um, I'm not here for the intro, baby. I'm here for the content. Okay, 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 okay. Let him know, Swerve. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So I guess we're gonna get into it. It's gonna be nice and short here, but I got a lot of questions for you, and I feel like you're in the know. Uh, of what's going on. Uh, we just traded for Quan Alexander. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and, I, and I'm reading a lot of different people's thoughts on it. And it seems like it's a bit of a polarizing move for the Saints to, to make this move um, on one end. And on another end, it seems like it's actually super intelligent. The Saints are only on the hook for another million dollars. Um, you get an upgrade in talent from Kiko Alonso. And it's a projectional pick, right? Like, so it's it's dependent on his playing time, correct? Yes, yeah. So conditional. So if he doesn't get out on the field, then the, the pick could turn into a fifth round for twenty twenty two, as opposed to twenty twenty one. There are there are situations that are built into those conditions that wouldn't cost the Saints this fifth round pick at all. Yeah. So by by my look of it, it looks like Mickey stole this one. Unless this guy only plays one game for us, and even still, I don't know if Kiko is going to get on the field for us in the near future. I feel like this is a good move for us. Um, I was talking to Elias, and, and both of us are going back and forth, and we said, this is going to strongly, strongly help our safety play. Because the fact that it's going to take less, it's going to take more off their plate and put more onto the plate of the linebackers, because now DeMario and Quan are both guys that are good in the pass game. Right, so you're not going to ask Marcus Williams to do so much. And I have a, a little side note here. I have a question for you: Did Marcus Williams play well against the Bears? Because I thought, by, like to the eye test, I thought he played really well. How did he grade out? He had a good game. Uh, they were able to take advantage of him at, at one point, in particular on the big 50-yard play. But it wasn't his fault. It was just simply that you know he had to make a choice, and because Allen Robinson was running free over the middle of the field then he had to bite down to take care of Allen Robinson and pick him up as he was crossing the field, which left uh, Janoris Jenkins one-on-one with outside leverage covering a post pattern, which is very rarely going to work out for you. Janoris Jenkins did a good job actually getting back into position and trying to make a play on the ball, but Darnell Mooney just made a great catch. But this is a perfect example of how the acquisition of a guy like Quan Alexander, if he finds his way to the field, helps Marcus Williams, helps the safety play over the middle because maybe in that situation you have a Quan Alexander who's playing you know, a bit of a zone over the middle that is holding down the middle of the field so that Marcus Williams doesn't have to bite down to take care of Allen Robinson and instead can help out George Jenkins on that deep round. Well, it's funny. You just stole my thunder because that's what I was getting into. <laughs> I was going to say adding Quan Alexander into that situation, we probably don't put that responsibility so deeply on the safeties there, right? Because he right. could probably push back yeah, a bit. Exactly right. Yeah, so it's um, 
It's an interesting thing. I I, I was a little bit concerned um, talking about Janoris Jenkins here for a second. We're going to get back to Quan, but you, you brought up Janoris, and that was one of my talking points. I was concerned about two things. One, I always view him as a pretty fast guy. You know what I mean? Maybe not the quickest guy, but I view him as a fast guy. Like straight line speed, I view him as a guy that can run pretty quick. It looked like he wasn't able to keep up with Mooney there. And if that ball was thrown no ahead of Mooney... Keep up with, but, that, but, but real quick, like no one's going to keep up with Mooney in that situation. Is he that fast? Like, George yeah, like George Higgins is fast, but like Darnell Mooney is fast, fast. Okay. And he got a free release off of that because of the, the play call. Yeah. And so like no one was going to keep up with Darnell Mooney in that situation. That's why Darnell Mooney has so many of those targets downfield because he creates that separation strictly with his speed. Man, Nick Foles is so bad. If that ball is like a yard and a half forward, mm-hmm. he's running into the end zone. It's insane. Um, and then the second one was the, the touchdown. That, that Janoris Jenkins, it looked like he read the situation. He had it read, and it looks like his brain worked, but his body didn't. Like, he was just flat-footed watching. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen, I've seen Janoris Jenkins. To be honest with you, that play is indicative of exactly how I would talk about Asante Samuel. You know what I mean? Like, he would see it, read it, go. And, like, Asante Samuel would have that in pick six. And, like, I view Janoris Jenkins in the same kind of light where he sees that, picks that go. And he did make a break on the ball, and he was just a little late. Is that just because he hasn't played a lot in the last little bit, or is it just because it's just a bad play? Like, what would you attribute that to? No, that, that's actually because he was watching the play develop, and he was playing his role, which his role was to be in the mix there, but not to be specifically covering someone. Marshawn Lattimore was supposed to be over on that side of the field to take the inside man on that trips, on that bunch okay. formation. And so if you watch the play back, Marshawn Lattimore was running to get back to the correct side of the field. This is a communication issue. And then he ends up not being able to get in in time to make a play on the ball where he would usually be a part of somebody that's cutting off that passing lane to where all that Norris Jenkins has to do is sit back and then make a play on the ball that's supposed to be going over his head as opposed to up ahead of him at the line of scrimmage. So one of the reasons why he is sitting there watching it and playing it flat-footed is because the expectation in terms of what his responsibility is versus somebody else's responsibility the relationship wasn't there as it was anticipated. So that's a big part of that, too. It's okay. one of the reasons why that touchdown actually got credited to Marshawn Lattimore as opposed to Janoris Jenkins. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was like, this doesn't seem like Janoris. It seems like he'd be, if he's going to see something like that, he'd jump and go. But um, that makes a lot more sense. Sean's having a bad year. Um, I guess my next question for you is now that we're adding Quan Alexander, he's obviously not going to play this week, but we have a nice stretch of games after this game where we should be pretty successful. And, like, I wouldn't be shocked to see us run off five wins in a row in our next five um, if we win this game uh, coming up on Sunday against the Bucks. Yeah, I think that this starts – well, I I really think that it started with last week. I think last week was part of the – this three-game stretch that I find very important bears – the the Bucks and then the 49ers. These are all identity games. Um, And this game against the Bucks in particular is one that has a big jumping off point just in terms of confidence and in terms of, uh, you know, chemistry too because the expectation is that Emmanuel Sanders will be back. The hope is that Marquez Callaway and Michael Thomas will be back as well. And so, you know, all of a sudden you go from being a team that started off with a lot of cohesion to now being a team that is reintroducing uh, pieces to the offense and that can play a role in this game. But if they're able to quickly maintain their identity, then that's a really big deal for uh, this game. And this game's going to come down to whoever, I mean, this game comes down to 
yards after catch. It comes down to discipline. It comes down to coverage. Deontay Harris, I think, is going to play a big a big role in this game. I think with us flipping the field is going to be gigantic against Tampa Bay because um, if we give Tampa Bay long fields to work with, I was watching, and I, I've been watching Brady a lot this year because, because obviously you, we're, we're, we're pacing with them right, uh, right now in the top of the NFC. It looks like his deep balls, it looks like they're staying up there just a little bit longer. You know, all that talk that they had on Drew about yeah. the dead arm, it seems that Brady has a lot of that too. And like, everybody was crediting these uh, Giants DBs for playing great, de- like, for playing great de- defensive back play. But for myself, I watched and I thought, no, they're just coached really well. They said that ball and all these deep routes is going to be behind us. So run and get your head around the last second, and that ball's probably going to hit you. It's not going to go over your head. And a lot of the times that was true. You know, a lot of the times guys were just there, and the ball hit them in the back. And so there's not going to be a flag on that because the ball's hitting you first, and the guy's not working back. So um, I am really interested to see how we do flip the field. Uh, We don't have Quan there, but a good positive about that is this might spark a little fire under Demario Davis because I don't think Demario Davis is playing at the same level that he played last year, and I know he has different responsibilities this year, but I don't feel like he's playing at the same level he was playing at last year, and that could be some scheme stuff. I don't know what it could be, you know, but I could attribute it to a couple of things that I'm guessing. But Alex Anzalone has been a bit of he's been a bit victimized in certain situations by different teams, and you can tell they're picking on him. Uh, one comes to mind is the Detroit game; they kind of went after him. You know what I mean? Uh, the Green Bay game as well. So if this doesn't get Anzalone to play his best and have, you know, DeMario Davis, like, spark a fire under his butt, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think the, the addition of Quan coming in, it, do you think he's going to be ready to play right away? Like, after this Tampa Bay game, is he going to be eligible to play against the Niners? Uh, the goal for Coach Payton is to get him on the field against the 49ers. And I, I just want to make sure that I say, too, that, like, this move for Quan Alexander has more to do with Alex Anzalone than anybody else on the field. Like, you can't yeah. compare Quan Alexander to Kiko Alonso to justify the trade. You can't compare Quan Alexander to Demario Davis. You have to compare Quan Alexander to Alex Anzalone because yeah. that's who this affects. It affects Demario Davis in that he would have a better coverage linebacker next to him and the responsibilities and roles can be shared between the two of them when they're on the field and they can each play separate roles at different times. But this is really about improving coverage from Alex Anzalone, which has been majority inconsistent so far this season at best and Alex Angelone's snaps have gone down yeah. considerably Legally, yeah. uh, over the, the, the yeah. portion of the season and I, so I think that that's why they want to try to get him out on the field against an offense that he knows in the San Francisco 49ers so that he gets a little bit more comfortable in his own in this new system that he's working in and he's going to be doing it against one against an offensive system that he's familiar with which yeah. is a good benefit for him. Yeah. I might not have articulated that well. I wasn't saying in the sense that I thought that Quan was going to take any snaps away from DeMar or anything crazy like that. But I'm just saying, right. like, I think as, as men, you're playing a sport, a sport that's ego-driven. You know, I think every guy that steps on the field feels like he's the best player at his position. You know what I mean? Like, they walk into that and they got to have that sense of swagger, that sense of confidence. And I think you're bringing another alpha. Like, Quan Alexander's not a quiet guy. Like, look at the man's hair. Right. My man, my man is out there. Yeah, he's swagoo. He's coming in like CJGJ a bit, you know, in that same kind of context. So you bring another personality into that linebacker room. I'm sure. I'm sure that Demario's at that point in his career now where he's a leader. You know what I mean? He does the he does the prep talk with them. He doesn't want to lose any kind of grasp of that leadership, even if he doesn't say anything. That's got to be in the back of his head a little bit of like, I gotta. This is my this is my territory. You know what I mean? He's coming into my world, yeah. and like and he's got to get along with what I'm doing versus. But he'll never say that because he's a team guy. 
But I'm just saying, as a man, I think that that's going to be part of it. And I think we see a better Demario Davis this week because of it. Sure. And I think that one of the big things that works really well for Quan Alexander is that this is kind of the first time to wear... It's almost, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to just compare a buck to a, buck, a former buck to a former buck here, but it's almost like the, the um, DeMario Davis, excuse me, the James Winston situation. What I mean by that is that this is a guy in Quan Alexander who has often been the teacher as opposed to the taught. He's been the guy that has been the mentor as opposed to the guy who has been getting mentored. And so I think that that's a really big benefit for, uh, for Quan Alexander to come into the situation where all of a sudden, He's not mentoring guys like Trey Greenlaw and like Fred Warner and Devin White. He, he instead is really just learning from Demario Davis. He's learning from Alex Anzalone. He's learning from these other guys. And I think that that puts him in a really specific situation that he hasn't been a part of yet. And I think that that's where you start to see a little bit of his game improve. He obviously has parts of his game that you can look at and say, oh, well, he's bad at this, he's bad at that. Every single player does. Yeah. But the big thing is going to be what does that look like and how does that translate into a system that has more assisted tackles on fewer tackles on the season as opposed to San Francisco that has fewer assisted tackles on more total tackles on the season. So this is a team that is predicated on getting multiple defenders around the ball to make a play. How does that support the missed tackle concern? How does his coverage end up supporting where the Saints are very weak, which is over the middle of the field? Mm -hmm. All of that is is a big part of it. And, And again, he does help the secondary in that he alleviates some of those responsibilities over the middle of the field, but even just in those middle of the field responsibilities, that helps the team greatly because you can look at the six forty. I'm sorry, you can look at the seven forty plus yard plays and be as mad about them as one wants to be. But that's seven plays out of two hundred and forty pass attempts against the Saints defense. When we're talking about the middle of the field, we're talking about the wealth of those those snaps that allow you to move the ball. That's how you move the ball in the NFL. Yep, you move the ball between fifteen yards in the middle of the field. And so that's one of those other things that Quan Alexander brings you. If he's healthy enough and if he can get out on the field. And if he can't, then the Saints don't really lose anything no. at all in this trade. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting that you point out the middle of the field because all that like bootleg drag stuff that we're getting with teams kind of abusing yeah, us with, point. I think a lot of that's going to get eliminated now because he's pretty fast and he's quick to react. He yeah. might overreact a lot of times and overrun a play, but a lot of times he's there and he likes to, he likes to take a lick in on people. I think... More quarterbacks are more susceptible to attack Alex Anzalone in those situations because they know he can't make, make an athletic play on the ball. They'll be less susceptible to throw that ball if they see Quan Alexander there because he's pretty athletic and he could make a play on the ball. Um, yeah. So uh, let's, let's, let's segue out of this here because i got a couple more questions for you. In one word or less, was, was this 2019-2020 draft a fail? No. You say no? Okay. So for me... I hate people that grade it right away, and I'm one of those people right now, so I hate myself, but I just, I'm just i a prisoner of the moment. I'm having a real tough time um, not saying that it's a fail. Uh, and the only reason I'm saying that is because we can't find a way to get Troutman into this offense. Now, I am the, one of the biggest Josh Hill fans out there. I have a Josh Hill jersey. You know what I mean? Like I'm a big Josh Hill fan. But he is no longer that guy for us. He's, a, he's kind of just a veteran tight end that can do a couple of things for us. He's not as athletic as he was. And as you saw in that last game, like when he slipped on the field, he should have been running. If that's a young athletic tight end, I know he slipped, but I'm saying if you have your feet there, he's going for a while on that screen pass. Um, Troutman not being able to get on the field, I feel like, is a, is a deep, deep fail for us because we did trade up to get him. 
And then Bond, same thing, we tried to get him, and he's having a tough time getting snaps as well. I know he's getting more snaps, but from zero to some is, is not great, you know what I mean, for what, the, for what they gave up for him. And, and I know he's not going to come in and be that guy right away, but just, just to show flashes. So is there anything I'm not seeing from those two? And I don't even want to get into Reese because he's just a yo-yo right now. He's the new Andres Pete for us because Andres Pete's playing fantastic, knock on wood. Um, but I, I don't want to get into Reese. But let's just talk about those two guys. Am I, seeing, am I not seeing something here that you are seeing? Uh, yeah, we're seeing two very, very different things, unfortunately. Um, That's fair. I'm you up. are talking about... Yeah, yeah, no, totally. You're talking about Adam Troutman, who's a rookie tight end, and name one rookie tight end that has performed his rookie season. Fair. You know what I mean? Yep. That's not his role. Okay. His role is to come in and learn how to play a true Y tight end position. We have been told this from the second he was drafted. That's his role. And so that's the way that they're using him because that's where they want him. That's what they want him to learn. He then becomes a receiver after that, right? The tight end position outside of the interior offensive line position is the hardest, the single hardest transition for a collegiate player coming into the NFL because you're learning how to play an entirely different position in both of those. The interior offensive line position in college is vastly different than the interior offensive line position in the NFL, and the same thing for tight end. You're talking about a guy that caught for you know over 900 yards and 14 touchdowns in his final year at Dayton, and then the expectation was that, and I think unfairly so for a lot of people, that he was going to come in and be the next Jimmy Graham right away when Jimmy Graham wasn't the next Jimmy Graham right away. <laughs> so we have to pump the brakes okay. on Adam Troutman okay. because that's just simply not his role. That's all. And you also you know, look at the snaps, 111 snaps so far in the season, 198 for Josh Hill, which includes Adam Troutman being inactive for a game and a game where they played the most snaps of the season. So that's also something else to, to, to keep in mind. Okay. Then you look at Zach Bond. Zach Bond's not having trouble getting out on the field the same to playing nickel and dime defense and Zach Bond is a Sam linebacker. Okay. That means he does not hit the field. That's why Caden Ellis hasn't hit the field. That's why they traded away Kiko Alonso because Kiko Alonso plays the Sam linebacker position. It's why they didn't spend money to re-sign A.J. Klein because they knew what their plan was coming into this because the Saints average on nickel, in terms of the nickel defense, is around 240 passing yards. I'm sorry, is around 240 pounds. They're very light when they play that nickel defense, mm-hmm. and they're the top, they're still in the top three in run defense. So what do you need a Sam linebacker on the field for? Yeah, it's the way that the Saints feel. Yeah. But they don't mind playing light because they can still be effective in the run game there, and it makes them more advantageous in terms of what they can do in the uh, in the passing game. Fair enough. Their goal with uh, with Sam with um, Zach Mon was to play him in the middle, but then he missed a ton of training camp because he got injured, and you can't just throw him out there in place of Alex Anzalone or Demario Davis without seeing him play that position, right? So he's somebody that maybe steps into that Mike linebacker role after Alex Anzalone because the Saints don't have to retain Quan Alexander after this season and probably won't because that's a huge price tag, but it's not guaranteed. So if Alex Anzalone doesn't get re-signed, if Quan Alexander doesn't get retained, then all of a sudden Zach Bond becomes your go-to person after you've gotten an entire season and two off-seasons and an actual off-season hopefully next year to work with him in coverage, which you didn't get the opportunity to do this year. And then when it comes to Caesar Ruiz, again, interior offensive line is one of the hardest positions to learn in the NFL, and he's doing exactly as you should expect him to do against uh, actually better as a rookie because, yes, he's, he has you know allowed some pressures, 
but he also just allowed eight pressures against Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack yeah. as a rookie. And those guys are so stars, yeah. I'll take, eight, I'll take eight pressures in that situation, including, I think, only one hit on the quarterback. See, you're so damn smart, you made me change my mind. Okay, well, you got me in a more positive, <laughs> you got me in a more positive mindset now. Um, but I know a lot of people are feeling a little, you know, a little somewhat some kind of way-ish with, uh, with that draft class because we're so, we got spoiled, yeah. right? We got spoiled for a you couple just, years. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're used to seeing guys come in and make immediate impact. You have to understand the roles of these players coming in and the fact that the Saints, how many roster spots do they have available in terms of starters coming into the season? I think we only had three, they had right? one at fullback. We had three. They had one at fullback and they had one at Sam linebacker. And guard. Which is a position that's not even seen in the field. And, and, and then at guard. And guard, yeah. yeah they specifically created after they drafted these Ruiz. Yeah, because we cut so, we cut Fatty Warford. <laughs> right, and so I mean, it, it, you know, you're looking at Alvin Kamara putting up over 137 scrimmage yards, yards from scrimmage every game. That doesn't happen without this offensive line. Yeah, that's so, it, yeah, I'm you with know you. What I mean? I'm with you on that. I think our offensive line, if there's an MVP so far, and you know, we've talked before. You've been on the podcast before, oh, yeah. and you know, and you know, Eli Apple and PJ Williams and Andres Pete have drew the ire of me many a many a times, many <laughs> many a late December podcast where I've been banging my head against the wall. But uh, I right now, right now for me, I can be a big man and say I'm wrong. I'm so happy that the Saints signed Andres Pete, and he's one of my early season MVPs uh, for this team right now. Some of the plays he's making out there, those. Like, when your offensive line is getting your team hype, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, when he punched, I can't remember who he threw down in the dome. He threw, like, he just threw him down like a little boy. I, I can't remember. You know what I'm talking about? It was on the left side. Yeah, I know what you're about. And he just threw him yeah, down like a little boy. And it, yeah, and everybody on the Saints on the, on the bench went, lost their minds. They, they scanned the, the bench, and they're all going crazy. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that I like seeing, you know? And I, I felt like we had a lot of that when Mark Ingram was there. And you see a lot of passion and stuff like that from from plays that were happening. We're kind of getting that back now, but Kamara does it in such a different way. You know what I mean? He's just got that. He's just like he. Other guys run hard. He glides. You know, and it's just, it's a, that's the way he does life, and it's just very different. So I'm very excited to see his development as a Saints player going forward too. Um, speaking of development, we have a development with this game going. What are your thoughts about this game? Because I just want to ask you that question and then say, our next five games, we don't we don't have a. a a team with a winning record we're playing against. So we have the Niners, the Falcons, twice, Broncos, and the Eagles. Um, this game is huge. And do you foresee any of the Saints on this team thinking, well, we don't have to win this because we have five winnables next? I know that's not the general thought, but could you see that being a bit of a hang-up? And uh, if you don't, or you do, how, how do you see this game going? Like, how do you see this game like just going out? Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to see any Saints players looking past this game. I understand very much that that um, that concern because we just watched San Jose Buccaneers do it yeah. when they were looking ahead to the Saints game and they almost dropped the game on oh, the yeah. New York Giants. Yeah. It's, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a continual, it's an understandable question, but because it's a divisional game, it's still so important. Yeah. And it carries a lot of weight regardless. It's both a conference game and a divisional game. So that, that, that becomes very important for the Saints. So that's why, like, there's not really an opportunity to look past this game at five winnable games after this. So this game is important because if you win this game, it establishes you big time uh, uh, in, in terms of any tiebreaker situations and things like that in terms of sweeping the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you also have one of the common opponent tiebreakers as well with the Chicago Bears while they have a common opponent tiebreaker with the Saints 
enough seating and everything like that, and, and seating, even seating within a division or placement within a division, um, that does become very, very important. But if they lose the game, it doesn't mean that it's the, the end of the season for them or, or anything of, of that or anything of that magnitude uh, whatsoever. Because uh, again, like whoever you know ends up playing against, whoever ends up being the say number six seed. Uh, in in the or rather being the number five seed in the NFC, they probably go to play against a really terrible number four seed NFC East team. Yeah. So there's still paths within because of the the lack of bye week for most teams in the NFL now. Or, you know, with there only being one per conference, it doesn't spell the end of their season. It doesn't spell an early playoff exit, anything like that. Yeah, and, and, so and then there's that's the potential to consider too. And then they got the potential 16 team playoff that they're talking about too, possibly right. So that that's right. another path. So we don't even know what playoff seating might even look like. So if that happens, that just means that it opens up another potential playoff spot within the conference, which is good news for this team if they lose this game. But if they win it, it helps, right? It sets yeah. them up for best case scenario. Yeah, that's what it does. It sets yeah. them up for best case scenario. I agree. So how do you see the game looking? Like, what's the how, how do you see the game unraveling? Yeah, I mean, I, it's always tough to predict divisional games because they're always unexpected. They're always weird. Um, but right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home favorite minus six. I'm always very concerned about large spreads for divisional games. They usually come in under, and they come up as a win against the spread for the underdog. And so, I, you know, and as an example, you can look at the Carolina game, which was minus seven yeah. for the Saints at home against Carolina, and they won that game by three points. Yeah. And so, I think that this is a game that ends up being closer than is expected, as long as the Saints defense doesn't give Tampa Bay the offense that it doesn't deserve. This, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that if you can limit yards after catch, which Saints have actually done pretty good at so far this season, then that is just as much a key this week as it was week one when the Saints beat them um, just, just a few weeks ago. And so you can't give them, though, the over-the-top offense. You can't give them the deep passes, those issues. That's where you have to put a cap on the defense, essentially. Right. And, you know, you're going to see a lot of single high safety from Marcus Williams in this game because of exactly what you pointed out which is that when Tom Brady throws down the field, that ball lingers. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic for a guy with the range and closing ability of Marcus Williams. He just has to be able to make those plays. So you'll see a lot of that. And so I think it's going to come down to those big plays when the ball is in the air, right? Who takes advantage of the air yardage? Is it the defense? Is it the offense? And then it's going to come down to also just, you know, winning at the line of scrimmage as much as possible for both sides. I mean, this Tampa Bay defense is very good, and the secondary is way better than I thought it was going to be, but it's yeah. a really young secondary, and that, to me, is a benefit for the Saints offense, especially if they get Michael Thomas back. Yeah, well, Justin and I did a pod on Monday, and we were talking, and both of us were just, like, giddy. And we're giddy because we're watching the Giants game. And I'm aware that that Tampa Bay secondary has been playing well. Um, I'm not going to, you know, discount that at all. But, man, they look real bad. And Jamel Dean, like his propensity to keep his eyes in the backfield and get burnt on double moves, that is so, 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 so real. And I could see Taysom throwing his first pass this year. That's going to mean something with Deontay Harris if, if, if uh, Jamel Dean gets put on, on Deontay Harris because you could see a double move just like in that Minnesota game, you know what I mean, where he just stems off and goes to the middle or even to the outside um, and have that ball because – Honestly, Sterling Shepard, if he doesn't, if he doesn't look back at the ball, you know, after he beats Jamal Dean, he's going to be running into the end zone. That ball's going to hit him in stride, and he's going to be going. I know Daniel Jones isn't very good. But it would help if he had a better quarterback too. 
Yeah, but uh, you know what? I, I'll argue. I'll still argue. I think that that pass was a good pass. The one that Sterling Shepard didn't get to, because if he's running in stride and he doesn't slow himself down, he's gone. Jamel Dean's not in the picture. He's four yards back. You know what I mean? Like he stopped his feet and did a whole woe f. You know what I mean? So for for me, I I know Daniel Jones struggled, and he's he's a guy trying to make a, a lot happen with a really bad offensive line in front of him, and and for and for him, you know. Anyways, I'm not gonna be a an apologist for Daniel Jones. That's not what I'm doing. Um, but I just, I just, just watching what the Giants were able to do. I'm sure Sean's got some ideas going on his head, being like, "Let's do this." Because you also look. Pause here. I just got. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so we got a we got a situation where Devin White also didn't look great. You know, um, he got beat up a little bit in coverage. So I'm excited to see what Alvin Kamara does against Devin White. And Indomitian Sue, I don't know if this is something I'm just noticing or if I'm just not a fan of his, but it seems like he's getting beat quite a bit, and he's just doing things after the whistle. Like, he's a mean guy. Everybody knows he's a mean guy. That's his reputation. But it doesn't look like he's got that same force that he had before when he was a lot younger. He's pretty old now, um, whereas JPP yeah, is playing. This is, this, JPP, is usually, this is usually his, like, low effort portion of the season. Yeah, he just, he just looks like a bum that's out there trying to bully people, you know, like a big Debo ball, like is what he's trying to do and just hitting guys after the whistle, and he's getting away with some of it, and he's getting flagged for some of it as well. But um, I, think, I, I think we should be running at him. You know what I mean? I think we should really really try to run at him and run away from JPP because JPP is the opposite. He's an old guy, and he looks like he's 25 again. Like he is running. Oh, he's been great for them. So um, what's, your, what's your final score of the game, and uh, who's your MVP on offense and your MVP on defense? Again, it's a divisional game. You gotta come up with one. You gotta come up with one. Then I'll give it to Tampa Bay 24, 20, uh, 27 24. Um, I'll say that. I mean, I, I picked Tampa Bay to win this game before the season even started. So okay. it would be weird to like, go back <laughs> at this point when the, Saints, when the Saints are now the less cohesive team yeah. in the situation. Yeah. And so, I, I, so I'll just I'll do that for the hell of it. But okay. I, I can't say that I believe it. Okay. But that's what a Tampa Bay win looks like to me. Okay. So I think that it, you know the offensive MVP for the Saints has to be. Um, I, I, I'm going to give it to a unit if I can, but it has to be the offensive line because okay. that's the that's what's going to drive the run game and that's what's going to keep Drew Brees clean if possible. Okay. Uh, and then over on the defensive side, I, I have to give a defensive MVP to Marcus Davenport because he's done oh. it two weeks in a row. Oh yeah. So I, I expect him to continue to be somebody that is able to, I mean, we saw what he was able to do to Nick Foles, who moves about as about as agilely as Tom Brady <laughs> at this point in his career. And so I think that that's a big part of uh, what is going to really separate these two teams is who can win in the trenches. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I have a different score. Me and Justin were talking, and I, I have it 27-17. I feel like the Saints are going to get up, you know, 24-9. to and then Tampa's going to score and get a two-point comfort, make it a little closer, and then Drew's going to go on a, you know, traditional Saints drive. We get down, it'll be third and six. We'll throw a two-yard pass. <laughs> it'll be third and four and left, or so it'll be fourth and four and left to kick a field goal, but we'll be able to ice it. Um, David Onyemata and, and Davenport, for me, have been two of the best players that we've had, and David uh, Davenport hasn't played the whole season. Um, David Onyemata, every time I call this guy's name while I'm watching the game, he makes a play after. It's just nuts. Like he's just he's he's been playing. Uh, what's Yeoman's ball? You know, like like no one's giving him a lot of credit, and he's just out there. And I think he's balling. So, um, yeah. David Onyemata is my defensive MVP. Uh, we're winning by ten. 
I think a big part of this is going to be moving the, moving the chains and keeping the ball in Drew's hands. I think we're going to have a lot of, you know, 10, 12 play drives, like maybe three of them. And I think Taysom Hill is going to be a big part of that. I think Taysom Hill is going to be probably a part of two touchdowns for us in this game, just like he was last time. And, uh, yeah, so Taysom's my MVP. I know it's a bit of a, you know, fan favorite type of uh, MVP, but I think he's a big part of it. Those those runs that he ran uh, when he was in, in at quarterback and there was just a quarterback, you know, was it draw? I guess a quarterback draw to the left side up behind Pete. He had a couple of sweeps in there, yeah. Yeah, like th- those, are, those are really good plays and hard to defend because he runs so damn hard. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's what I got for those guys. I, I think after this, if we win this game, I hope we don't become lackadaisical and play a, a beat-up San Francisco team. Their injury list is something I've never seen before, ever. Yeah, that is Bay, that is insane. Green Bay have been ridiculous. <laughs> that is insane. And then did you see today that San Francisco sent everybody home and closed down the facility? So we don't even know if that Thursday game is going to happen. NFL says it's still on right now, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the world is upside down in 2020, and <laughs> as long as we're still winning, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season the Saints would be 5-2 and two going into this Tampa Bay game, I would have taken it. You know what I mean? I would have taken it for sure, and I would have been happy with it. So win or lose, I think we're still in a good spot. And, uh, yeah, man, any parting thoughts? Any thoughts on the Saints that you want to talk about before we, leave, before we get out of here? No, no, I mean, we hit one of my usual lingering points, which is always the hidden yardage game and Deontay Harris and everything. I think that's the biggest part. I mean, the Saints have the sixth best starting uh, field position in the NFL right now, and Deontay Harris is a big part of that. And uh, they've been generating one of the one of the best, in terms of for themselves, uh, one of the best starting positions to face mm-hmm. in the NFL as well because of their special teams coverage. So Justin Hardy, those guys that have done a really good job covering punts and kickoffs because Will Lutz has gotten really good at his kickoff placement here recently. Yeah. Um, those things end up continuing to be key as well because it eliminates the positive starting field position for Tampa Bay, which they've been kind of living off of since they played the Saints in week one where they didn't win that in that stat. And I forgot, I did have one more question for you um, right as you were talking, I was remembering. So we get Emmanuel Sanders back, hopefully. We get Michael Thomas back, hopefully. And we get Marquez Callaway back, hopefully. That's your boy, Marquez, right? So, yeah. Um, what happens to Traquan Smith? What happens to Deontay Harris in the passing game? Are they still a part of it, or are we working Marquez? Because I know Emmanuel Sanders and Trey and Michael Thomas are going to get their parts, right? What happens now in the slot, or do we move Mike into the slot a lot and put other guys on the outside? Like, what is our receiver uh, when we move it? When we put out three receivers, what does that look like for us? Yeah, the only answer I can give you is yes, because we have to remember that this is the Sean Payton system, right? And so. The number three option, the number two option, the number one option is going to change week to week to week to week. Okay. That was one of my favorite questions going into the season was who's going to be wide receiver three, who's going to be wide receiver three, and my answer was always yes, because <laughs> sometimes it'll be Alvin Kamara, sometimes it'll be Jerry Cook, sometimes it'll be Marcos Callaway, sometimes it'll be Trey, Trey Smith, yeah. sometimes it'll be Deontay Harris. It just, you know, Coach Payton is going to continue to vary this offense in that way so that he's never telling anybody with what he did the week before what he's going to do the week after. Okay. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming by, Ross, and we'll hit you up again after this game. You got it, man. All right, man. Who that? Who that?